Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. I'm Sheila Shoiga and welcome to Ready To Be Real Conversations, the podcast series where I chat to people of all walks of life. Some names you'll recognise, others you might not, but my hope is that these conversations will at times inspire, challenge, educate, comfort or simply entertain you. This week I speak to champion freediver Claire Walsh. I have done some really cool things. I have gone to cool places, I've tried cool activities and all of them will have come from one little place of sitting, maybe in my PJs, uh, with loads of coffee cups around me or cups of tea and empty packs of crisps and who knows what's <laughs> yeah, happened. Yeah, yeah. Um, all of them will have come from a really low moment. Yeah. So something really great can come from sitting in the shit. Originally from Leakslip, she currently lives in Bray with her partner Booty and she's been free diving for six years now. She's competitive and driven, but there's also a beautiful gentleness about her that allows her to connect to her breath and to the water and achieve what she has already, which is incredible. She can hold her breath underwater for an impressive 5 minutes 59 seconds and she can dive to 59 metres on one breath alone. A fan of therapy and regular self-care habits like sea swimming, mindfulness and meditation this is a fascinating listen as she covers so much from her love and respect of the water from an early age to struggling with her mental health in her 20s. And she also talks about her other passions in life, music, drama and performance. And I started the conversation by asking her about contracting COVID-19 back in January. So I, um, I actually went training in Egypt um, from October, November, December, I came home for Christmas and was due to go back out mid-January. Mm. I was going to start an amazing training cycle. It was going to be the makings of me. And January 2nd, I developed symptoms of COVID. Uh, I was a close contact as well, so it wasn't a massive shock. Okay. Um, and kind of January is a little bit of a blur. Um, 
Yeah, it is. It's, it's a little bit of a blur. Kind of, I think about four or five days in, I can't quite remember. Um, I know it was a Tuesday. Um, my breathing started to accelerate. It just, it felt different. Okay. And I do spend a lot of time cultivating an awareness of my breath. And I just, it was off. I yeah. knew it was off. So I rang my GP and he said, go straight to a &E. And that just seemed like a wild overreaction. I didn't want to be one of those numbers. And um, suddenly things got very, very real. So I said, look, I'll, 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 I'll wait it out and I'll see how I feel in a few hours. So um, I actually rang him back that evening and, and he asked me to count the amount of breaths per minute. And it was way too high. Okay. So I was encouraged again to go to A&E and, and my, my partner doesn't drive. So he said, call an ambulance. And that just, again, just that, that, that felt scary. Yeah. I said, no, no, I'm grand, I'm grand, I'm grand, I'm grand, I'm grand. And within an hour, I just thought, nope, I'm not grand. So we did call an ambulance. Um, and actually, the paramedics were terrific. They checked me out in the ambulance. They then brought me into Vincent's. I spent the night in there and they did more tests and things like that. I got sent home the next morning. And that's when things got real. Um, I think... You know, I was I was joking with uh, Dan, I think his name was Dan, the paramedic man, all the way through. Um, and he was saying, gosh, you don't sound like, you know, you're that out of breath. And I said, no, really, this is out of breath for me. Mm, yeah, um, OK. And it wasn't until the next morning, kind of whatever, I got back into bed at six or seven o'clock and just had that feeling of, oh, my God, that was a lot. You know, that was a lot. I think at the time I was trying to keep it light for myself. Yeah. Um, I, I was on my own in, in, in the room. Um, but yeah, that was a little bit of a scare um, and a real reality check in that moment. Yeah. So, you know, I thought, you know, our, 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 cell, our isolation period passed and thought, OK, it'll eventually fade out. And, you know, I started making plans and looking up, you know, what gyms I'd rejoin once everything reopened. Like, I laugh at it now, the absolute naivety of it. Okay. Um, and I think I, uh, maybe towards the end of February, I put up on Instagram that I had had COVID and a few people contacted me and said, look, be careful, blonde COVID, here are the symptoms and so on. And I very much had the opinion, oh, that, that, that wouldn't be me. You know, you know, probably that was for other people. Yeah. Um, because a few members of my family had COVID as well and, and they were fine. In fact, some of them were, were also asymptomatic during their, mm. um, despite having positive test results. So I think I was in an element of denial and it wasn't until I, I was on a Zoom call with a couple of pals um, who have a lovely accountability group. We work for ourselves. We have a lovely accountability group. So I was on a Zoom call and I said, just one sec, I'm going to pop over and close the window. And I walked, you know, a couple of steps, came back, sat down. I was out of breath for five, ten minutes. Like I actually had to turn off my camera, turn off my mic. I was out of breath like I had just sprinted. OK. Um, and that was shocking. Yeah, exactly. That's scary, for, yeah. especially for someone like you, yeah. who's, you know, your your life revolves around breath work. Yeah. And tuning into your breath and having control of your breath. Yeah. And. You know, it was scary, but it was also, it was really sad yeah. um, because, you know, I free dive, I hold my breath and there's a lot of, I've built, I've developed a lot of inherent trust with my lungs. Yeah. And I felt like we had a bit of a fight, you know, they had let me down and which is, it's the wrong way to think about it, but it would just, on one, on one side, I felt incredibly lucky. 
I was thinking, oh my gosh, if I was vulnerable, if I had asthma or whatever, that I was somehow compromised, how would that have felt? It was mm. terrifying being fit and having an awareness and knowing how to try and slow things down. So how would it have felt if I had been compromised? And that gave me a whole new respect for what a huge part of our population had gone through over the previous year, whatever, um, 10, 11 months. And then the other side, uh, the probably a little more um, ego-driven side, was just like, come on, no, this isn't how we do things. So there was... Look, we've made up since myself and my breath. We we yeah. sat down, we hashed things out. Um, but there was, there was a sense of mistrust. Just it was really strange. It's like being in someone else's body. That's probably the best way to describe it. Yeah. Well, it's obvious that it's, it has it impacted you physically, mentally and emotionally. You can mm-hmm. feel you can feel it from you. Yeah. Long COVID is not something I've discussed so far in the podcast. Can you kind of... I know that tiredness is a huge factor. Mm-hmm. Breath is obviously another yeah. one. But the, the main symptoms that people can have as a result of having COVID-19. So really early on, well, for early for me. So that's about kind of March, February, March of this year. Someone sent me on the list of symptoms. Oh, my gosh. There is so many. Yeah. Um, it's such a huge, huge list. And um, for me, I experienced fatigue is probably my main one. And that's probably the most debilitating one. So fatigue, um, breathlessness, which has improved, I'm, I'm happy to say. Um, some people don't get their sense of smell back. Some people don't get their sense of taste back. Yeah. And there is, you know, anosmia clinic. So anosmia, not being able to smell. There are clinics to help develop that. I, I can't imagine um, what that must be like. Um, muscle aches, joint aches. People have experienced uh, dizziness. Um, nausea, um, back pain, pains in the ribs. Um, yeah. yeah. Oh, it's, it's, it's extensive. It's extensive. Yeah. So for you, this really, it's fatigue and and I suppose shortness of breath yeah. are the two biggies. Yeah. But at least, do you feel like you're you, you said you're gaining kind of? Uh, I suppose you're expanding the breath again. Yeah, the breath, and I think so. Th- there is um, kind of. Now some thinking that um, people who have long COVID, it's about being stuck in fight or flight. So in the, I was a mix of these two, sympathetic nervous system. So your body is locked into that this state of stress or yeah. tension. Um, and I think a lot of us, long COVID or not, having emerged from, I don't know how many lockdowns we've done at this yeah, stage, or even such a bizarre um, year and a half, they are also in that state. So constantly fight or flight. Um, in you know not not in a in a state of high stress, but there's that kind of steady hum underlying everything. Yeah. So there has been some talk that you know breath work obviously helps um, trigger the PNS, parasympathetic nervous system, mm. which is really tricky to say quickly. Yeah. <laughs> PNS is easy. <laughs> um, so to trigger uh, PNS, so that's why breath work is so important. I did speak to a sports physician maybe two months ago at this stage. And he was so excited about the work I'd done around holding my breath and, and developing that skill because mm. so much of that is about de- developing flexibility in your rib cage, um, the mental aspect of it as well. And then the big part of it is being able to slip quite easily into the parasympathetic nervous system. Yeah. Um, so I'm slowly, slowly coming back 
uh, to doing a little bit of breath work to hopefully take myself out of that fight or flight. Um, and that's something I would have been aware of before, but now I'm really conscious of the physical effects of being locked into that mode. And it must be very humbling for somebody like you who, ha- you know, you can hold your breath for almost six minutes underwater, mm-hmm. which is phenomenal to then kind of go back. It's like baby steps again. Yeah. You have to kind of go back to the start. Absolutely. And that's a huge part of the, the mental side of things. Um, I did a, what's called, a, I did a breath hold table. Yeah. Um, the start of last week. So it's um, you breathe and prepare for two minutes. You hold your breath for two minutes. You breathe and prepare for uh, one minute, 45, and you hold your breath for two. And so the time preparing goes down and the breath hold stays the same. That's one way of doing it. And I really, <laughs> I, I parked my ego or so I thought. Okay. <laughs> and really brought the amount of time holding my breath down to a minimum, kind of thinking, ah, this is a baseline. You know, I'll definitely be able to hit that such a struggle Mm. it was it was that's the word it was so humbling Mm. and kind of you know I'm I'm sure we'll chat about it to a greater extent but the reason why I love holding my breath um, even on dry land is because it gives you a really good chance to assess how you are Mm. emotionally and mentally yes so you know when I'm lying there holding my breath and trying to ease into the sensations trying to let go of tension trying to use my energy efficiently and that includes thought Mm. so there is a huge softness around it all I could feel is tension um and then that, those racing thoughts and then the, the, the thoughts that come in to hijack and go, maybe not today. Oh, maybe today is not a good day. You don't injure yourself. You know, all these kind of excuses your brain is yeah. flinging at you to go abort, abort, abort. Um, and, you know, I did think I'd gotten to a point in diving or breath hold where, you know, that, that's much easier to um, redirect. Not last Monday. Yeah. But... Look, this is this is part of of I try and say the word journey too much. Uh, but this no, but is, you obviously are on one. Yeah, and, absolutely. And, and it's 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 this is an easy um, statement to embrace when things are going well. But I find yeah. it very hard when things are not. But I suppose it depends on where you stand on the do things happen for a reason or not. Yeah. But when something like this happens, you're kind of going, really? Yeah. Did I really need this? Yeah. You know especially with what I do for a living, what my passion is, you're going to give me feckin' long COVID <laughs> to deal with. Are you yeah. for real? COVID was bad enough. Yeah. Uh, but the long COVID, no, thank you very no, much. Thanks. I yeah. have to get on with stuff. Exactly. Things to do. But it'll be interesting to see what the next six months will hold for you in terms of your recovery and 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 where perhaps there's a redirection happening in your life. But maybe that's a, a conversation for another day. Mm. I know we have so much to get into. <laughs> um, I didn't expect us to begin with, with COVID, but thank yeah. you for sharing so openly. I'd love to go back to you as a kid mm-hmm. and, you know, I suppose jumping into the sea and swimming yeah. with your family and your love of it. Yeah. Um, so I have two sisters and one brother and I'm the eldest and swimming was a big part of her life. Every Saturday evening, uh, dad took us swimming. Um, yeah, no, it was just the thing we did. And I was, I think it started myself, my sister, and then the other sister came along and then, um, my brother uh, at the end. So <laughs> swimming, uh, consisted of lessons and 
I was doing lengths, my sister doing lengths, uh, Sarah, my other sister doing lengths, and Matt was doing wits, and then he'd move up to lengths as well, and then those competitions were all desperately competitive. Um, so uh, training, training, inverted commas, finished with competition. Yeah. So dad would get, dad would give me a five second head start, Katie a six <laughs> second head start, and so on. And like that's that's my my resounding memory and it's such a happy one such a competitive one and where does that competitiveness come from your dad or oh your we're mom? all desperate oh dad okay yeah. <laughs> oh we're all desperate um yeah look as we say if you're not you know losing if you're still speaking to each other after monopoly you're not playing hard enough <laughs> um, that's christmas monopoly okay. games yeah uh, but races were a big part um and then dad used to get like weighted rings and throw them in the deep end and we'd scramble to get them. That essentially is free diving. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah so I was okay. doing that for years and then playtime was a big thing. And like playtime would be, God only knows what we did. I remember I remember bringing a snorkel and mask uh, into the pool. God knows what I looked like. Um, and, and like lying on the bottom of the pool there, my memories. And then the odd time mum would be dragged to watch us so that's when you bring out the handstands that's when you bring yeah, out yeah, all yeah. your tricks and mum be chatting to the other women like mum look at me so uh, <laughs> yeah that's it's a really really happy memory um, and we would have gone holidays you know in Ireland and then a little bit later on in France or wherever mm. so going into the water was a really big part of it mum doesn't swim yeah. Um, you know as mum says she doesn't even like to get her face wet in the shower yeah. so she really doesn't swim Yeah. but all of us have learned, have really enjoyed it. And I think we all have a really healthy respect mm. for the water. And I think that's, that's so important. Yeah. And I know I've spoken to my sister about this, but we've all gone off traveling at different stages and our respect of the water, our comfort in the water and our ability allow us to try things like scuba diving or snorkeling or, you know, whatever activity that so many of these trips, you know, revolve around. Um, and yeah. even though it's a, it's it's an impossibility to predict what's going to happen, I think when you have an understanding and a respect for the sea, you're probably you're going to listen to your instinct more. You're going to be a bit more aware while taking risks and mm -hmm. doing cool things. You're still going to know, well, there's a line here. Maybe I don't cross it or absolutely that understanding keeps you safe. Yes. And, and you know, the water is the variable and mm. it's changeable. The minute you think you're totally safe and you completely have it is when things get turned on its head. Mm. So um, that's so important. A humble approach to water, I find, is always a probably good way to go at it. Yeah. Yeah. And then, I mean, I know I'm jumping forward now, mm. but in terms of when you are underwater. Yeah. And you're holding your breath for yeah. five minutes, 59 seconds, which <laughs> blows my mind. There's nowhere to hide. No. As in, like, you know, when we're doing breath work on land, yeah. and I would have had this in the beginning um, when I really started to embrace my yoga training, mm -hmm. <laughs> we'd be, you know, doing it, breathing exercises. And then it's like, you know, put your hand up when you kind of have to take that inhale or whatever. Yeah. And maybe the hand should have went up earlier because I'd be kind of telling myself, no, no, I didn't take a breath, but I probably... A little sneaky one. Little sneaky little bits of air <laughs> seeping in gently, but I wasn't a proper one, so I don't need to put Doesn't my hand count. up. Never do. But you can't lie underwater. No, and that is my quote. You cannot lie underwater. You can't lie oh, to really, yourself. Yeah. yeah. You can't lie to others about how you are. It all comes out underwater. This idea of fake it till you make it. Mm. You know, and that's something that I think a lot of people live by. Plaster a smile onto your face and go, yeah, no problem. And not and figured out how to do it later on 
and with free diving or holding your breath or being in water it has to be the other way around it has to be building from the inside out you but isn't that brilliant it. It that is. is being truly authentic it's such a different way to do things and I, I learned that the hard way um, with a couple of dives um, but going back to in terms not, of them it, not going them not going well okay um, but going back to this idea of there's there's nowhere to hide mm. I kind of to me I think about it you know even to a, a greater extent how often do you sit in your thoughts um, in your body without music on without uh, your phone without 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 when you're in water you can't do that so even that discomfort, I think, is I always underestimate it and I'm always horrified by how great that discomfort is of just being. And is it when you're under the water, is is it are, are you are you looking for a distraction? So when how different is it as an experience? It's really different. So doing it dry, it's really uncomfortable. It's really, really uncomfortable because you don't have the sensation of the water. So the we oh, interesting. So yeah. it's it's more uncomfortable on I dry land. I find it more uncomfortable. Even dry. though you could you could kind of cheat. <laughs> no, but that cheat's not worth it. <laughs> I know. Why am I talking about cheating all the time? Sorry, I'm revealing way too much about myself. Um, what I mean is, you know, it's you're. I suppose I feel like, and this is probably my showing my own uh, naivety on the topic, mm. is that you're safe on land, but you don't get any of the benefits that make it easier. Like okay. there's so many dangling carrots by just being in the water. There's so many. So this thing of holding your breath on dry land is just so boring to me. Not, it's not boring. It's challenging. It's crap and it's not lovely. Um, whereas there's a whole other dimension that can't be replicated dry. It just it's not the same. So when I so, for example, so a, a dry exercise would look like me on my back in my sitting room or bedroom, whatever. Um, I'm wearing a nose clip, so I am breathing through my mouth. So you do your, your prep time and then your hold time, prep time, hold time and so on. So that feeling of taking that big, 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 big breath where you're so full of air, it's quite uncomfortable. Mm. Um, and that's why uh, stretching and lung stretches and flexibility in your thorax is so important. But when I'm in the water, I'm face down. So that pressure comes against my chest. So it just it doesn't feel as intense. That okay. expansion has a little bit of a pushback. Mm. that makes sense mm. and also so you do I do it wearing a nose clip but my eyes are exposed to water so there's a really cool feeling against my eyes I can hear water you know the, the sound of above is dulled so I won't say it's womb like but there is and you're supported you know all your limbs are supported so it's much easier to get into a state of relaxation for me anyway I can't help but thinking as well about one of my favourite films that I saw in my 20s The Big Blue Big Round Blue yeah it's incredible I remember watching it and going this is the most amazing I I don't know how many times I've seen it since but it just blew me away so if anybody hasn't seen it it's Luke Besson it's it's made in the late 80s stunning the actors in it came to the world championships uh, in 2019 the year you were there yeah yeah, no way Sean Reno and the other the other hot dude I I never remember his (laughs) name the other hot dude yeah oh yeah That's what we just called him. Hey, Did you meet him? I, I met him from a distance. Oh my goodness. Oh, that's so cool. Yeah. <laughs> but it's 
it's incredible oh it's a brilliant it film incredible it's amazing yeah no it's a it's a must for any water lover or free diver yeah so listening to you i'm thinking of the scenes in the movie and mm. um, where it, it it is it is otherworldly yeah. when yeah. you're in the water and you're doing your thing what come what do you think of what it comes to mind or does anything come to mind oh my gosh everything, everything. comes to mind mm. everything comes to mind and again it, it is that element of whatever is going on for you at the time will be amplified or exposed. Yeah, so okay. if you think if well, I don't know, the, the example in my head is in 2016, I had learned how to free dive. I wanted to go back out to the place where I'd learned and spend six to seven weeks learning more and free diving. So in preparation, I was at the gym and physically I was really, really fit. But um, my lifestyle was chaotic absolutely chaotic it was also my sister was getting married shortly afterwards so there's lots of things going on there and it was just crazy there was no mindfulness uh, there was lots of fake it till you make it lots of figuring things out on the go and move 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 so yeah. when I got out there got out there and um, I started diving and kind of was expecting to hit pbs personal bests you know within a really short space of time and I was diving shallower than I'd ever dived before um and I, I got really frustrated and then I got an ear infection and then and then and then. So I came out of the water for a week um, and I had to slow things down. Mm. I had to come out of the water because I had an ear infection. So while I was doing that, I, OK, right, grand, I'll journal. OK, right, grand, I'll try a little bit of meditation begrudgingly, mm. you know, and maybe I'll do a mindful practice. You know, I said in the most sulky voice ever. Yeah. Um, but the reality is I had completely neglected that side of that of the sport. And without that side, you know, it, the water doesn't care how strong you are. It doesn't care how much you can lift in the gym or how strong your legs are for kicking down. Unless you are mentally, emotionally um, comfortable, softened is always the word I go to. Yes. Your mind won't let you get down there without getting injured. But isn't that so true for anything in life? It is, it, you know, it is about a balance of all of those things. Yeah. Because so often you can have somebody who says, you know, it's a stereotype, but the gym bunny. Yeah. Who is completely allergic to talking about emotions or thinking about what's mm. going on for them. But, they, you know, there's an imbalance there while they look may look physically a certain way. Yeah. And the same goes for the other extreme. The person yes, who yeah, doesn't exactly. ever want to put the runners on and do any exercise yeah. or do anything like that, um, but is very comfortable talking about feelings and everything, but they're neglecting the physical side. So we really do have to find some sort of balance for ourselves as individuals, Completely. regardless of what we do. And this sport, you know, for me, has everything. <laughs> yeah. That the, it does appeal to, I think, well, probably it hooked in the competitive side first. Yeah. Um, yeah. But honestly. And you were good at it. Like early on, you realise this I was, is something I can do. Yeah, I think so. I, like a lot of beginners have um, a really steep progress curve, if that's the way to put it. They progress very quickly. And I think that was the case for me. And then mm. there's a plateau and then, you know, you build a new set of skills and you continue on. And the whole thing with freediving, if you advance too quickly um, before you're... you're physiology has a, had a chance to adapt you can do quite an injury yeah and um, so there is always that kind that um and awareness. scary injuries yeah scary injuries 100 um, percent. it is a risky sport it is it's not as 
dangerous as people perceive. And I am saying that putting little asterisks mm. beside it as, as I mentally. Um, obviously, it's a dangerous sport. We're holding our breath underwater, but it's not as dangerous as, as the perception because there are inbuilt rules. So the primary rule is um, never dive alone. Yeah. And I don't know how many people I've heard saying, um, oh, yeah, but I'm only going to do like, I don't care. I don't care. Mm. You do not hold your breath underwater on your own from having seen that little bit more. Things can change in an instant. And again, like I said at the start, the sea is the variable. You know, water isn't constant. Yeah. So you can never account for what changes might happen there. So you are never in full control. So you dive with a buddy and you develop quite a lot of trust with that buddy and they know how far you can push and how far you can't push. And for me anyway, when I'm diving with my buddy and we have a good relationship, I don't want to do something that will put them in danger. Yeah. Because that's where um, they'll have to deal with it. Not me. I'll be unconscious. So I'm not going to do that to anyone. Yeah. So that's why, you know, partnering with with uh, the right person is really, really important. For somebody listening who is uh, hearing you speak about freediving but doesn't quite fully get what it entails, we know already that it, it involves holding your breath underwater. Mm-hmm. But yeah. is there a fuller description yeah, of, of what it is? So, you know, freediving, it's a sport of holding your breath underwater and it's been around for years and years and years. It's used by um, the fishermen to get pearls um, and Greece and Japan would have a huge history of it. Yeah. Um, it is a relatively new sport. I think it's around the 90s. It became a competitive sport. Um, but there's there's a few different disciplines. So your static breath hold is lying flat on the surface of the water, face down, so airways submerged. So your static breath hold, lying still, lying static, will be your longest breath hold because you're you're conserving energy by yeah, not moving. Yeah, yeah. So my static is 559. Incredible. That's six. Oh, it gets me every time. So static is your longest breath hold. And then there are pool discipline, disciplines and they're measured in distance. So <laughs> think of when you're a kid or I don't know if you did this. We did this swimming underneath the water up and down mm-hmm. and how far you can go. Mm-hmm. It's obviously quite an elevated version of that, but that's essentially what it is. So it's under under the water um, laps of a pool. And then there's the depth disciplines. So and you do this as well. And this is this is my favorite. This yeah. is kind of this is the big blue territory. Th- this is big blue. <laughs> and, and that's why everyone loves depth. Yeah. Um. So surface of the water, mm. there'll be um, a platform or a buoy or buoy. Um, here in Europe, we say buoy. Um, if I say boy out there, they don't know what I'm talking okay, about. Yeah. They're, they don't know who I'm referring to. So <laughs> okay. I, I always mix buoy and boy. So <laughs> there'll be a buoy or boy. And then dropped from that, there is a rope. And at the bottom of that rope, there's a pile of weights. And you decide how far you want those weights to mm-hmm. be down. So today I'm going to do a 60 meter dive. So the weights will be dropped down 60 meters. And there's markings on the ropes to know um, how far to let it down. And I'm wearing a carabiner and a lanyard and I'll hook that carabiner on. I prepare at the surface and my preference, um, the way I like to prepare is face down. I'll wear a snorkel and that's when I go into my lovely meditation. See how I say meditation different now? Mm. <laughs> it's not in the sulky voice. Mm. So I'll start my meditations. I'll start my breathe up, 
which is the type of breathing you do to prepare. So the idea is to go fully into para the parasympathetic. There we go, PNS. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, lower the heart rate, clear the head, clear the mind, soften all those voices who say maybe not today. You know. Yeah. Um, Silence the inner yeah, critic. And I just, I just imagine, just like a bubble, a bubble coming around me, um, and I play this little game, and this is a, t- this is isn't a general uh, free diving practice this is just me i try to listen to what the sea is telling me mm. um i try and talk to <laughs> oh gosh i try and talk to the depth and i love kind this of, yeah i ask for an invitation yeah okay um, you know what's happening today this is where i want to go how are you feeling <laughs> you know it's it, trying to just build a dialogue and and, and connection you you're so 100%. deeply connected with the sea yeah. with nature yeah and uh, you know and uh, I dive in the Blue Hole quite a lot. So the Blue Hole's in Egypt and Dahab, and it is a 93 metre um, drop off, just a couple of metres from the shore. So you've 93 metres of depth, and it's surrounded by coral, wow. and the light there is incredible. So the the flickers of light you can see 30 metres down, um, to me are always just indicating what the mood is like today. Um, or whether there'll be a current or if there's jellyfish that don't sting you on the way or it's just, yeah, it's it's a dialogue. And for me, it's and just... And you understand. You have a, such a relationship with the sea, I suppose you understand Or just trying it. to pay attention or just trying to bring my awareness into it, which to me is the opposite of, I don't care what's happening, I'm just doing it anyway. That yeah. hasn't really ever worked for me, not in freediving. So you need to be fluid. Yes, exactly. Fluid and soft mm-hmm. is always my word for it. Yes. Um, so that's how I prepare, and so I'm on the I'm on the buoy. <laughs> I'll take out my snorkel. Um, as I take I take my breath, I take my big breath, fill up, pop out the snorkel. I let it fall away. My coach will grab it for me so it doesn't go to the bottom, and then I start my dive. I turn upside down and start my dive, and off I go. And you've got to sixty meters. No, I've got to fifty nine. <laughs> 5.59 is my breath hold. This is interesting, meters. isn't it? No, it's not. It's so frustrating. I wonder what's in that for you. Do you know the 59s? No. Well, last year, the plan was to break 60 and to keep going. Um, but I guess now it's going to be postponed until 2020. But is, is that a strange coincidence? 5.59 and 59 there's always there's always, a, there's always a thing around a zero number. Because it's a big marker. Okay. So usually if I'm going for a PB, I'll try to aim for 61. You can go up okay. in jumps of five meters down to two. Um, you can go to 0.5 if you want. Um, and it's certainly not recommended to do more than five meters. So when I get back up to 59 comfortably, I won't aim for 60. I'll aim for 61. Zero numbers are always just a bit intimidating. Isn't it interesting that your response to that was kind of like, oh, haven't got there yet. Whereas, like what you have achieved so far, eight times national record holder, it is the stuff of dreams. It is probably for the majority of people who are are doing what you're doing. I did. I did make a decision um 2017 that I wasn't going to train full time. Training full time would mean living out um in Egypt, for example, or somewhere else, and. I do want more of a balance. Um, yeah. It is a different, very, very, very different way of living. Um, and I do, I, I do love Ireland and I also love the Irish Sea. Excuse me. 
so in that decision there is a, a curbing of where I might get to yeah of course if I was training doing a proper full training cycle twice a year building up to the peak cycle when you hit your PBs your personal bests and then going into competition of course I'd probably I sure look let's say I'd be in the 80s at this stage who mm, knows and mm. um, I definitely have progressed a lot further um, so in that choice of wanting to spend time in Ireland and I did I made that decision consciously and it was reaffirmed for me in 2019 the absolute dream would be half the year in Ireland I love sea swimming here mm. I love the rawness of the water here it like I get homesick for that um, and obviously family and friends are here so spending half the time here talking about freediving teaching about it or, or whatever teaching about breath I'm really passionate about that so that's half the year and then the other half is off diving yeah, yeah. training competing yes and I sense from you, from what you've told me so far, is that you, uh, you know, nothing ever stays the same for you. No. You like to mix it up and you've done a lot so far in, mm. in your career, in your life. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad. And I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. There was a turning point for you when you were about a teenager when you said, just I'm going to park the swimming for the moment and you embraced yeah. drama performance mm. and you went a totally different direction yeah yeah um I think I think I started drama uh maybe four or five years old I, I can't remember I've done it forever um and at the same time had been swimming and then about 13 14 I think it was the summer between 13 and 14 um when the the coaches I was swimming with wanted me to start those early morning sessions before school a couple of times a week. I already was doing, I think, maybe three training sessions a week. 
Um, I also play the piano. Um, I also studied musicianship. I went to speech and drama. I say it now. I'm so grateful to mum and dad. It was not a big deal if we wanted to do it. Yeah. If we showed a commitment, they made it happen. Mm. How lucky is that? Oh my gosh. Mm. Note to self, thank mum and dad. It's, it's incredible. It's even just saying it out loud. Um, so when that, that change kind of started happening, 13, 14, and it was going to look like, OK, the next phase was me to start the sessions before school. And I just thought, no. Yeah. No, wasn't for me. Um, perfectly happy happy with that decision. I'd no real grow to go on and do competitive swimming. I'd kind of dabbled in it. Um, obviously, 13, 14 is kind of prime puberty years. Sure. I was bigger than a lot of the guys my, guys my age. I'm starting to become aware of that. So, yeah, it just kind of switched over to drama. Still went to the Saturday night swims, I think up until I was 18. Yeah. There's no other activity that we all did together. I think I was 17, 18 when I stopped Saturday night swims with the lads. Seriously. Um, so, yeah, that was a, the, the turning point, I think, more towards drama and singing, whatever it was. Yeah. And you've done so much. I mean, you've worked with the Lambert Puppet yeah. Theatre. You've been a puppeteer, singing, as you said, acting, the, the works, the yeah. works. Um, and then you went through a difficult period in your 20s. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> this is not something that you often speak about in the context of a podcast, but mm. you you have nonetheless spoken yeah. about as well that you did struggle with your mental health. Yeah, absolutely. And I think the the change I'm making now is it wasn't mental health, it was mental illness. Yeah. Um, to 2005, I finished my BA and the summer after that, things went to shit. Mm. Um, I didn't know what was happening. I had gotten into a, uh, an MA, a master's program in London. Um, so I remember I was working quite a lot to earn money for it. So I was working d- during the day and I was also doing night shifts. So obviously tiredness was a huge factor. So something else happened, something else shifted. Um, and the image I have of it in my head at the moment is kind of a, a strange one, but I think that like a baseball field, not that I play baseball, but I kept on moving further and further away from home base. Yeah. So, you know, when you try and make a decision and you might be stressed or you might be in the middle of things and it isn't that clear, but you always feel like once you put your foot onto home base, you can sense what's the right decision for you. Mm. I felt like I was so far from home base. I just began to lose a sense of who I was and lots and lots of tears for reasons that I couldn't quite understand. So I headed off to London then that October and the Masters itself was really, really tough. There was some breaking down to build up. It was a Masters in Movement, um, kind of in a a theatre setting. Mm -hmm. Um, I was away from my, my, my family and my boyfriend at the time. Um, and that year was really, really tough, and a lot of physical st- symptoms started to come in. I remember I've, I have quite wild hair. I have a mane, thick hair, and lots of it. And my hair started falling out. Okay. So I remember coming home maybe for Easter or whatever it would have been, and I went to the GP, and they were ready to put me on antidepressants. And I said, Oh God, no, 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 nothing like that. Um, and then when I finished, I, I moved home pretty much as soon as I could. So I think I finished my thesis at home. 
and things were pretty bad there then so my world had become quite small so when I talk about my world I mean like where I was prepared to go I remember um, we got the bus into town one night so from I lived in Maynooth um, into town and that was just too far I, I felt quite um, panicky and stressed about being so far from home yeah so that was again a new feeling and I think I just absorbed it a really big part of of what followed the next couple of years um I didn't fully understand what was happening um th- that relationship that I was in broke down quite soon after that um which left it certainly me, didn't help no it left me pretty emotionally raw but yeah. the kind of chicken and egg which came first um so the following years kind of for much certainly from 25 or certain 24 to 29 anyway it's all a blur Mm. It's all a blur, kind of dates and and things kind of uh, intertwine. I was I was really sick, and you know I'm 38 now. Um, I would love to go back 13 years and give her a massive hug. She was fighting so hard, and the fight was to stop people seeing what was really really happening. Um, predominantly my parents and my sisters and my brother. Um, I wanted to protect them from that because I was in absolute and utter turmoil. So I was fighting so hard to just not let people see. That you were struggling. Yeah, I'm really, really struggling at the time. What was it, pride? You know, I think it's easy to identify it now as pride, but um, denial maybe. Um, And again, this idea of... And and maybe it it was tainted by, you know, but sure, what have you got to be upset about? You know, Mm -hmm. as far as I was concerned, I'd been offered so many opportunities so far in my life. I'd gone to London to study exactly what I wanted. And my parents supported that. You know, that in itself is incredible. Yeah. Um, You know, I'm close with my family and I had friends and, and so on. So there is a thing of why do I feel like this? There was such a discrepancy with what my life looked like on the outside and how I felt inside. Yeah. So I found it really hard to um, match the the two of those. I had a I had a really terrific conversation on Saturday um with Louise Carroll, I think um she's a bass player for the Blizzards and a, a clinical um psychologist. Psychologist, yeah. That's right. Yeah, she's amazing. Um so I only met her on Saturday and we were doing an event um, Mind Your Loaf with Jason Byrne. Yeah. It was a really great event to be um involved in so I did speak a bit about my own experience in that but afterwards I sat in and watched Louise and when she was talking I was like a nodding dog I think I probably used so much energy just nodding in agreement with her and so afterwards I kind of nabbed her and we ended up having quite a chat so you know her take is quite different obviously she's a professional background so she spoke about and this is something I feel quite passionately about this idea of it's okay to not be okay if if that's the phrase or hashtag or whatever and whilst that's um great in theory I think there's a really big gap about okay so if you're not okay okay so society has said it's okay not to be okay now what do I do yeah so okay well I talk to someone what if that person doesn't know what to do with all this amount of darkness or what if they say the wrong thing and I know that happened to me a couple of times um, maybe I shared with the wrong people maybe they weren't able for what I was going through maybe it was kicking off something for them that they weren't who knows Yeah. so 
something that I feel quite passionately about is, you know, saying, yes, of course, it's okay not to be okay. And if you are struggling, talk to someone, but let that person be a professional. Let that person be someone trained to deal with these with these issues. Someone that, you know, at the end of the day, okay, they're not going to go forget about you and wash their hands by any means, but they can they have trained to be somewhat detached Um. You know, it's a really good point. We um, had a discussion on the podcast a few weeks ago with uh, a therapist and a counsellor mm. and we were speaking about this yeah. very thing. And I think, you know, again, for people listening, they've either been the person opening up to somebody mm. who hasn't been able for it or said the wrong thing yeah. or whatever. Or on the other hand, you've had somebody open up to you and you feel completely unequipped. Exactly. And know what to say. And yeah. you might put your foot in it without realising. But that's it. And I know for me at the time, and I know I can imagine, I have an inkling, um, it was incredibly diff- difficult for my family. They didn't know what to do. Um, and that, that doesn't mean that they were uh, ignorant by any means. But for me, nothing was right. Yeah. So I was seeing their concern. So I was seeing myself reflected back to me in their concern. I just was rejecting all of it. So I was so angry. And in fact, I used to call it rage, but it's not rage, small or it's the rage, capital T, capital R. It would just spill out of me, whether it was rooted in not feeling understood or validated or whatever. But, you know, I've, I've five, five other members of my family, there's six of us in total. They don't, they don't deserve any of that. They are trying, they are learning just as much as I am at the time. Um, I, I'm just using them a, as an example. Yeah, I getcha. Um, but no one of them could have healed or fixed me. That That's not how this works. Um, and so what did work for you? What did work? I, I did. I, I did spend um, two, three month periods, I think, uh, in hospital mm. in uh, St. Pat's. Yeah. Um, that was really difficult. Coming out was really, really difficult. There's an element of being institutionalized after it. Um, I did find that probably more har- harrowing. Um, I did see a psychiatrist for quite a while. And there was quite a lot of medication and some diagnosis, diagnoses. Um, and again, that is all quite a big blur of finding right medication um, can be quite a traumatic experience. Um, coming up to my 29th, on my 29th birthday, all the nines, yeah. <laughs> so things leading to a zero. Um, leading up to my 30th birthday, I had decided I wanted to try and come off all medication. Mm. So I did this, and obviously this is the big one, with my doctor. Supervision, yeah. Yeah, so we did that. So shortly after that, he recommended I see a wonderful counsellor. Talk about giving someone a gift. He uh, referred me to my counsellor, who I now dip in and out of, mm. kind of for whatever now, eight, eight, nine years. I've been yeah. seeing her. She's terrific. Um, and I always just think of it like the dentist. So obviously I'll go to the dentist if I if there's a problem. But I also see the dentist every six months to yeah. just get my teeth cleaned yes, and a yes, quick yes. checkup. So that's a great way of putting it. Yeah. Yeah. So it, to me, it's the exact same, and I have such a topped one, up. Yeah, exactly. Mm. Um, and it's just, and I just think it's somewhere that um, a space is held for me that um, it, it, it's neutral. 
I'm not going to upset anyone and it's just to spill my brain there's a really 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 terrific uh picture that describes counseling or therapy or whatever and it's uh someone holding uh, two balls of wool that have all intertwined and the counselor's just sitting and has the red one on one side and the yellow and that's all she's doing it's just helping separate yes. there's no magic magical solutions it's just giving you questions or giving you a space to figure things out for yourself that's right mm. if it's not too personal to ask was there was there a name or a label put on what you were going through at the time yeah there was two there are plenty more but the two i give are first it was depression and then it was bipolar disorder type 2 and after that i i don't pay attention to the names anymore because I grew quite attached to my label okay. at the time, which is bipolar. Um, it gave me a place to fit in. It gave me a forum online of where to research and who to chat to. Um, and when that was changed, I felt really at sea. <laughs> what a reference. Um, I felt yeah. like my identity had been stripped from me. And my counsellor at the time, I can't remember if my counsellor, my doctor, but they basically said, whichever it was, said a rose by any other name would smell as shit. Mm, so mm, learn mm. the symptoms, learn how to manage them and then know when to ask for help. And that's probably the big one. Yeah. Yeah. And, and you brought up a big one there as well. Labels can can be helpful in a lot of situations, but they mm. can also be destructive yeah. as well in, in that we, we become so defined by yeah. what we've been told and that we can't see beyond it. But yeah. actually, we're so much more than just a label. 100%. And I do understand how it happens, you know, when it does affect your day to day so hugely, it's so all consuming. And there were, um, you know, for years, oh, my gosh, like my family would be looking up things that might help. And, you know, everything, you know, just kind of revolves around. And I remember there was um, someone suggested a book as a present. And, you know, your birthday's coming up. And I was like, I don't. I don't want a present this year that has to do with maybe helping my depression. I want nail varnish, yeah, something yeah. just really fluffy, you know, because it can be, you know, quite a lot. Um, and when this happened, when my diagnosis changed, it was in my early 30s, I think it was about 31, 32. Um, it was a huge, now I suppose I use the word setback. It absolutely threw me. Um, but it really, it really doesn't matter to me anymore. And, and the same, my counsellor said, diagnosis are there to figure out medication mm. and a treatment yeah. plan. And um, you have an idea of what you want to do for medication, which at the moment, you know, is none. And treatment, you're coming here and you're learning um, dial um, mindfulness and CBT. And yes. You're yes. managing it. So we got this. Fair play to you. And a fair play to her. She's she was absolutely super. Um, as I know, as but and and while that I mean, absolutely, I'm not taking from that, mm. but you're still the person that has to do it. Yeah. And you it's know, hard work. And if you were on a cocktail of meds to come off, that that was a huge, probably adjustment period as well. I'm sure oh, it was. Huge. Yeah, huge, yeah, yeah, huge, yeah. huge. Um, yeah, that's, that's wow. the blurriness. Hmm. Definitely. You you have you've been through a lot. I mean, look, we still only kind of scratched the surface, but and I'm saying that in a I admire you massively in a respect way, in a kudos to you, because um, you are a phenomenal person and you look at the highlights and you go, 
you know, eight time national record holder. She can hold her breath for this long. She can go this far underwater. Um, you know, you're a keynote speaker. You do all this cool stuff, but it hasn't been an easy road for you, as is often the case with impressive people. But I think, I think, you know, everyone, everyone, everyone has a story. You we know, do, yeah. We have so many guests on, on, on your podcast. We all have our own story. Incredible story. Yeah. And yeah, that, that is, that's a really big part of mine. And I, th- there is a big part of me. I'm so glad social media wasn't what it was when I was going through all this. I remember being in hospital and feeling really passionate about changing the world. Mm. I wanted to change how the world is starting by Ireland, starting with friends and family, how they felt and thought about mental health. And I was ready to take on a crusade. I would have destroyed myself yeah. in the process and I would have put myself in a place of absolute vulnerability when I probably wasn't able Ready. for it. Yeah, yeah. So now it's a good, you know, 10 to 13 years since since uh, I was at that kind of heightened stage. So you feel um, stronger and in, in a place now that you can talk about it. Absolutely. And I'll, I'll talk about it kind of in the right setting and I think there is a lot to be gained from sharing I was asked in a podcast um early last year's early last year have I always been so confident (laughs) and I think I probably snotted the zoom screen laughing so hard um because you're kind of going if you heard inside my head you would crack up laughing um so obviously I'm aware of that whole history of you know building up um, and and moving forward, but what I've learned, and again, it's something I chatted briefly um, to Louise about on Saturday. What I believe firmly about is the phrase I use is sitting in the shit. Yeah. So yeah, obviously, yeah. there's a huge spectrum of mental health issues, also mental illnesses, and um, um, spectrum of wellness. But there's also emotions and. I used to be terrified of negative emotions because I was afraid they were going to tip me off into a depressive episode. I didn't I didn't trust my emotions at all. They were so dysregulated mm. and it was never just a little bit sad. It was huge and it was depression really really quickly. Yeah. But what I'm learning and what I what I have been learning um was that actually really valuable things come from feeling disappointed, sad, anxious. You know, these are really valid emotions. Um and you know And normal. And normal. They're part of the yeah. the human experience. And if you don't get them, you don't get the other side. Yes. Happiness, yeah. contentness, um, sense of achievement and so on. So you do have to learn how to sit with them a little bit more and that's why this idea of just be positive, you know, encouraging positivity all the time. It's like, no, absolutely. let me be versatile. Let me show you how I can handle them all. And I have done some really cool things. I have gone to cool places. I've tried cool activities and all of them will have come from one little place of sitting, maybe in my PJs uh, with loads of coffee cups around me or cups of tea and empty packs of crisps and who knows what's <laughs> yeah, happened yeah, yeah. Um, all of them will have come from a really low moment Yeah. so something really great can come from sitting in the shit <sighs> yeah that's so big isn't it mm. 
I try not Jesus. to hurry, hurry those moments mm. along. They get to have their time just as much as any other emotion. Yeah. And then, right, okay, here's your coat. It's been nice. Yeah, yeah. I'm going to just start clearing up around you now. Off you go. Off you go. Um, and that's actually, it's one of my dad's one. He goes, right, give it a cup of tea mm. and then show it the door. And oh it's just allowing a little bit of space and then ushering it on its way. Yeah. I'm flooded with uh, goosebumps now when mm, you're speaking right. because it's it's just bringing up a lot of my own stuff as well. And if that's happening for me, it's happening for people listening. It is Because we've all had shit times. We've all had shit. And, so and many if we're here, we've come through the shit. Exactly. And we're all on Instagram or whatever, whatever social media um, platform we're on. And we see these beautifully curated feeds. Yeah. And that's what they are. Oh, 100%. We all see it. We all scroll. Oh, my gosh. We spend so much time on it. Mm. Um, actually, it's OK to show... Uh, the man behind the curtain, my favourite film is The Wizard of Oz. Oz, so, Oz yeah. Um, all powerful Oz and just lift the curtain and yeah. there's this little man. Small man. Yeah, just moving these yeah. things and actually he wants to be somewhere else. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I think a lot of people that will resonate with, like, that's me, you know. Sometimes I have the most beautiful photos on my Instagram feed because I'm friends with really beautiful photographers. <laughs> 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 you know, and there's some amazing people that I have taking pictures of me and then I walk by Yeah, but you're mirror. also gorgeous. So it's, sure. it's also the canvas. It's a combination. But like, it's like you it's walk a... by the mirror and you see like pseudo cream splatters <laughs> all over your face and you wonder, when did I have spaghetti? You know, in your eyebrow, but your look. Hey, you know. yeah. <laughs> oh, it's spaghetti in my eyebrow. <laughs> oh, yeah. God, um, this conversation has been brilliantly unexpected. <laughs> And weirdly, it was one of the more mapped out chats that I had done. I told you, we're going to talk about this. Then we're going to go here. We're going to go there. None of it happened. Plan out the window. (laughs) Best chats you like that though. Of course they are. Mm -hmm. Uh, Always. Absolutely always. You are, uh, and this is one of the things that came to me is she's the queen of reinvention. Mm. Just when I, when I was listening to you and talking about, you know, so you've done this, you've done that, you've done the other, you've done so much already in your career from being, you know, a champion freediver to, you know, excelling in music and uh, acting, performance, puppetry, you know, really interesting uh, work that is extremely creative as well. and I know you're writing a book. Yeah. So that's another. Very, very, very early stage. I'm probably putting on the moxers on it now, but sure. Look, but I very writing. exciting. Really, really exciting. Um, I was approached by a publishing company um, early last or late last year. And they asked me, would I write a book for them? Um, so I scrambled and got an agent. Um, I'm pals with Ruth Fitzmaurice, who wrote I Found My Tribe. Um, okay, and yeah, she yeah. was super in terms of just giving me bits of tips, advice. So I got an agent and we had the chats and the next phase was putting together a proposal. Um, and I did that. Actually, the first draft of the proposal, sorry, I'm giggling to myself here. I wrote <laughs> on day two of COVID symptoms. So with a temperature and uh, being totally out of it. Yeah. And then I hit send and my agent, who I haven't met because all this is done on Zoom, she probably read it and went, oh, sweet Jesus, <laughs> what did I take on? <laughs> and like the, the idea. Did you read that, over it afterwards? I, 
Did it no, make any I sense? No, I can't read over that. I am deleting that <laughs> file forever. Um, I'd say I could, probably couldn't even spell to my name right at that, on that day. But I just hit send. I was like, God, that's great to get knocked out one day <laughs> from my bed. Oh, gosh. Um, so obviously we did a little bit more work to do than that. Um, so we put together a proposal and she's been terrific and she's really guided me and has a genuine interest in um, what I have to say. Yeah, well, I have a major interest in what you have to say. I know this is going to be a fascinating read. Yeah. Um, and also, you know, you're only 38. I'm only 38. So there's yeah. a lot more life to be lived yeah. and experiences yeah. to be had. Yeah. Um, on the list, do you have other stuff you want to do? Because obviously your your love and your passion for mm. not just swimming, but diving and, and, and competitive diving is mm. there. But... You've a lot of other interests as well. I've loads of other interests. It's funny, and I suppose it's to finish off that story. Like the the book has become a real big passion. Um, the the company that approached me actually have since passed on my proposal. Yeah. Um, and I thought that once I thought I probably wouldn't pursue it. Look, it was nice to do, but writing it, I learned that I actually want to tell a story, and. You know, I never would have considered myself a writer, but I really, really enjoyed the months that followed that that fevered day in uh, lying in bed writing. So writing proposal, putting together over the next the months that followed. So I've just finished it. Um, was was really incredible, and I think it was uh, it was a really good exercise in grounding myself in what I do, what I want to do, and what I know. Um. And I think that's really going to help the next phase of my career, whatever that might be. And can we answer those questions now? Mm-hmm. Oh, what did I say again? What do you want to do? What you know? Mm. So what do I want to do? I want. It's, it turns out I want to share my story. So definitely want to come back to the mental health thing a little bit or yeah. mental illness um, and share that a bit more. Maybe now's the time. Um, and you know free diving and and what it's i have spoken more about this um in podcasts and interviews etc but actually kind of maybe showing the rest of the story behind that and i think if i was to add another question like what would i like someone to take from that is to show that you know we often i i would have had a perception that people who do these things have this, you know, tremendous courage and that they're almost like a different breed. Yeah, but superhuman. Yeah, but I know I've made those decisions and those decisions aren't made uh, with your hands and your hips staring, you know, off into the horizon with a cape flowing at the back as well this image. Actually, those those decisions to change and to go after something are usually made at quite a humbling or low or very real moment. They're mm. not... Uh, they're that That's where those decisions can be made to I need to make a change I need to change shit up yeah, so for me yeah. it was right there's world championships next year I'm going to go for it I was so unfit at the time when I made that decision Okay. I just wanted a project I wanted to change I wanted to change how I thought I wanted to blow apart these self beliefs you know these this belief system that had kind of made its way into how I, I conducted my life over quite a short space of time and, and limited what I was doing. So, right, of course, deciding to do a world championship representing your country is quite a big one, but it can be anything. So 
those changes are always possible at any time I believe as opposed to well 32 you know you're married and you might have a partner and a house and that's your career full stop shinny that's it now Mm. that can change any time you can reinvent or go after something just for the crack just to see what the journey is like just have a play a bit of curiosity and I actually popped up something um on Instagram yesterday, you know, what holds us back? Mm. And, and the majority of the responses are myself. Yeah. Yeah. So. I identify with that. Mm. I think a lot of us do. Yeah. Myself. We get it in our own way, don't we? Uh, 100%. Whether it's because of imposter syndrome or our own limiting self-beliefs. Mm. Um, but yeah, I think I... I've learned that I want to write the book that I would have loved to have read at 32, mm-hmm. that I needed to read at 32. I didn't have the boxes ticked. I didn't have a partner. I didn't have a house. I didn't have a family. I didn't have a career with a clear trajectory of where I might go. Therefore, I felt like I was doing it all wrong. So I I would love to write a book that goes back to 32-year-old Claire and gives her permission to go, no. Yeah, Look exactly. at all the other things you exactly. can do. I was just about to say, you're doing nothing wrong. So it's but okay. It, but it's funny how locked into this belief know, that you can I get. Know. Yeah. Um so yeah. Up ticking boxes, as I said. Exactly. Um yeah. So if mental illness was a player in your life at one point, mm-hmm. how do you feel about it now? And what do you do to keep yourself, as you said, topped up? You still you still dip in and out of therapy when you need it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I know you do, you swim in the sea on a daily mm-hmm. basis. Are these all practices that help you to mind yourself? 100%. And, you know, I, I make the differentiation between, so there's therapy and then therapeutic things. Mm. So I do therapy with my counsellor, a trained, trained professional. But that doesn't mean that getting into the cold water with my salt sisters and having lots of coffee afterwards, that's therapeutic. Yeah, of course. So that makes me feel great. Um, that's my routine. And there's lots of other things. And I think I've become a little bit more diligent about um, routine a little bit. Um, there's lots of room for improvement on that one. But putting in structure to my wellness, particularly in the last, whatever, since March 2020. Mm, mm. Um, and that would be breathing practices. That would be um, mindfulness Um, meditation because we need it I need it and I'm always so aware of where it can go Um, and when you don't do it you feel that don't you yeah when it slips exactly exactly so I would be relatively diligent about checking in um, with myself you know I think mental health will probably be something that will be in my life forever Um, It certainly doesn't dictate my day to day anymore. Mm. Um, It's not. um, I don't put it as part of my, you know, internal biography, you know, Claire Walsh, I X, Y, Z, that it doesn't really come into it anymore. Are you afraid of it? I don't think I'm afraid of it. I'm great. I'm proud of what I've learned from it. Yeah. And, you know, there's there's a a phrase that a psychologist somewhere along the way mentioned it to me. Um, I, I'm very sensitive and before I would have seen that as being wildly negative um, okay. you know God you're so sensitive you know yeah. that really it's almost like an insult but she coupled it with another word which changed it completely she said you have an exquisite sensitivity 
Yes. It's like, I can take that. Yeah, yeah. You know, exquisite sensitivity makes me uh, pretty creative. It gives me skills within, uh, I don't know, my, I run a gospel choir. I used to run a gospel choir. Yeah. Um, I, I was able to hear things that needed to be tweaked. You know, it, it gave me a keenness or a sharpness to maybe things that are less tangible, maybe aware of them. So and then you could apply that to I can apply that to so many things. Yeah. So, you know, you definitely there's a knife edge. Um, it can be a really bad thing. Uh, it can also be a really, really great thing. So I'm far better at harnessing it or shoving it over (laughs) into the really great camp. Um, so I am who I am because of it. Exactly. Exactly. You're embracing who you are in all your glory. As you said, oh yeah, the good Seed bits. cream and spaghetti, my <laughs> eyebrow and all. Ah, <laughs> uh, you have to get that in the book somewhere. <laughs> it's gonna be like a whole chapter, or maybe that's the sequel. <laughs> oh, Claire, thank you. This has been a gem of a conversation. Really unexpected in the best kind of way, and I'm really excited for the book. I'm excited for however many chapters in your life that will <laughs> that will unfold because you're a really interesting human being so and a much. fabulous person and uh, I've admired you from afar so meeting you in person it has been such a joy um, and I know this conversation will help people so good on you for using your voice to, to do something good you know it's great thank you so much this has just been incredible what a gorgeous way to spend an afternoon oh, right back at you thanks Emil You've been listening to Ready To Be Real Conversations. If you like my podcast, please show your support by leaving a rating or a little comment on Apple or by clicking follow on Spotify. I'd be so grateful. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.